Hi everyone, and welcome back to We're All Stories in the End. So I just thought I'd say hello really, and let you know what's happening. I'm going to start work this week on Series 3. Um, I'm also going to start work on the Winter Special, which will be with you at some point before the end of January, I guess. It's just a little fun thing to kind of fill the gap until we're back with Season 3. And today, I'm not even giving you an episode of We're All Stories in the End. I'm going to give you an episode of another podcast I make with my friend James, uh, which is called The Electric Sodcast. Now, what is The Electric Sodcast? I suppose the most important thing to tell you is that it's designed, it's supposed to be funny. A lot of it is sketch shows. There's a sitcom quite near the beginning of the feed called Will of the People. Uh, It's about a crap Tory MP called Will. You can see the level of genius we're operating on. And more recently, we've started doing something called Song Poker, where we talk about music. And it's the most recent episode of that that I'm going to drop on the feed today just because I think it deserves a few more listeners than it's necessarily getting on its own. And I'd love it if anyone got into the Electric Sodcast and what we do on that feed through listening to it here. So please enjoy it. Or if you've heard it, you don't need to hear it again, obviously. (laughs) Fine, be like that. But either way, uh, like I said, we'll be back later in January with the Winter Special. So... See you then. I hope everyone has a fantastic new year and do whatever you can to get through the long, cold, miserable month of January. Enjoy all your Christmas presents or maybe do what I do, which is listen to an awful lot of podcasts. You may not agree with everyone's opinion about the latest episodes of Doctor Who, but some of those people out there in the the podcasting universe, I feel like they're my friends. They're not my friends. They don't know me from Adam. But listen to Too Hot for TV, listen to Flight Through Entirety and The Second Great and Bountiful Human Empire, listen to Hamster with a Blunt Penknife, listen to All of Time in Space, listen to Strangers in Space, listen to anything you like. It's a bit of company, really, isn't it, at the end of the day? That's all I'm going to say. Enjoy Song Poker and I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Hello and welcome to Song Poker and this is a special bonus edition because it's Christmas Day, Merry Christmas all and Ian and I are going to talk about uh, a favourite Christmas track of ours because it's a bonus, it's a real bonus, we're coming to you with a bonus episode and actually it's a quick addendum really to our previous Xmas song pod, Um, works in tandem because Actually, I felt like this song deserves a special poking and prodding around within its glands. And I've said that it's one of your favourites, but I suspect that's probably a lie, isn't it, Ian? Um, I hello everyone, Merry Christmas. I was just letting you waffle on there because I was, I was, I was hoping you'd get to that point where you sort of flounder and sort of run out of words and start sort of gibbering at the screen like a goldfish but that didn't happen no i've been um, floundering for many years what was the question do i like do you do, I like do this you song? do you like this song we should actually probably reveal what the song is um well before we do let me reveal that i do like it it gives me a very powerful reaction whenever i hear it excellent that's that's good to know because it's not necessarily the most quintessentially christmas of 
Christmas songs, is it? You know, no. I mean, this is good. We can we can actually see how long we can spin this out without naming the song. <laughs> but the the sort of theme of suffering and misery and deprivation that it that it sort of delves into is in many ways kind of counterintuitive with the um, conspicuous consumption and glorious gravy chin satisfaction of what we associate with Christmas Day. And within that dichotomy uh, lies the genius of the song. Yes. Sorry, you're going to have to talk longer. I'm drinking a cup of tea with <laughs> Lady Grey. It's not just tea, obviously. Oh, it's I'm Lady sorry. Grey. I think when, when when this song was released and mm. uh, we were nine years old, it was extremely impactful, wasn't it? It, it was culturally significant. Well, it was kind of, I, I guess, because we were sort of hearing about it, you know, on the radio and on TV shows like Blue Peter and Newsround, and it just it just became the most important thing that had ever happened, yeah, presumably. I think that's true. And yeah, it was it was culturally huge and massive and crusading and towering in a way that, for example, the Grange Hill casts "Just Say No" was not. Uh, let me stop you there because. We'll talk about Grange Hill at another point, perhaps, when we're doing charity singles. We don't want to, you know, spoil it. Nice. That would be good. That would um, be, be a great episode. It will be, won't it? Yeah. Um, good. So in 1984, what, what were you doing? What were you into? Um, I was mainly into Star Wars figures and taping music off the radio, but with no great agenda or or particular love of distinct genres or anything mm. was 1984 the year of cliff richard and the young ones living doll oh it might have been mightn't it um because that that was very much my favorite single ever for a for a very long time mine too it was amazing yeah. wasn't it um yeah it really was but yeah uh, but verify that stat yeah living doll. just take a look at her hair <laughs> It's real. Do you know what? Was, that was what? 1986. That doesn't seem right because, I mean, the young ones hadn't it finished by then. Yeah, it had. Anyway, 1984, I think, was mm. a great year in pop music. Madonna really didn't release her first single, but really hit the big time in in 84. And I think same could be said for Prince as well. We had Wham still making, you know, big noise there. There was... Frankie Goes to Hollywood as well. Oh, marvellous. Yeah. Yes, you're right. That that was a very great year, and I was sort of churlishly unappreciative. At the time? Yeah. I mean, no, I I, I, I can remember taping all of those people off the radio, mm. um, which was the sort of the mid-'80s version of streaming them on, on Spotify or Apple Music. It was, it was just a lot cheaper than actually going out and buying any of it. There was a, a clock that struck 13 oh yeah in 1984 yeah um probably did did the eurythmics do the soundtrack for that film 1984 in 1984 they, they would have done yeah so they're on the scene mm. with their sex crime song and and related mm. related things yeah it was it was a good a good time for music if you were alive at the time if you're if you're 21 now you're probably not going to go back to that year and think mm-hmm but arguably this song was the biggest news of the year in music and it, and, and it made waves over in um, in america as well across the pond because um they tried to emulate even better our success with their own charity single yes they did and and that was um 
uh, <laughs> we are the world in 1985. We are the world. That was mm. it. Yes, I remember it had it had Jackson in it. Oh, and it I think had, it had Lauper. It did. Jackson and Lauper alone would have been enough to secure number one, but um, they they amassed a just an extraordinary collection of of stars that, that, that have never been seen since. Mm. No, the, they've been seen since. A collection, all of them. A yes, a collection like it has never been seen since. Right. It was so. It was very much like the the Avengers assembling, but musically in the eighties. It really was. However, right. it started yes. with this one, I think, which is um, this this song that we're here to talk yeah. about, which we still haven't named. No, and we, do you we think weren't... most? Do you think most people have probably guessed what it is by now? Or yes. I mean, we should okay. say that there have been other charity endeavours. You know, George George Harrison did um, did his bit for Bangladesh uh, back in the day, and there's there's countless others. However, I just think in in the eighties in Thatcher's Britain, more of which later on, uh, because Thatcher does play a role in this. Are we going to name it? Shall we name it? I think I think at this point people's appetites will be so wetted mm. they'll be they'll be they'll be moist they'll be squelchy desperate to hear hear you say the name of the song well and who it's by. then i shall it is do they know it's christmas of course by band-aid the collective name of this charity supergroup, featuring mainly british and irish musicians uh, so it was founded in 1984 by saint bob geldof and St. Midjur to raise money for the anti-famine efforts in Ethiopia. Which had been brought to global attention by Michael Burke. They did. They, they, they were yes. uh, on yes. BBC News. Yeah. And, and actually, it's incredible how swift an operation this was to get it to get it going. And I believe they recorded it on the 25th of November 1984. Um, and it was released on Monday the 3rd of December. Yeah, it was a really quick turnaround to get these huge names at the time over to Psalm West Studios in Notting Hill for the big record. Do you want to talk us through some of the uh, some of the inestimable talents on this song? Yeah, let's. Well, OK, so it opens with Paul Young, and I don't think it's any great secret that actually those initial... Um, lyrics had been earmarked for another more significant performer than Paul Young. Do you know who that would have been? I mean, I could list thousands. <laughs> <laughs> um, but specifically, no. Was it probably someone like Madonna? Uh, it wasn't, no. Um, it was Bowie. Oh. Because interestingly, most of the artists that were asked to record were British and Irish mm. Um, mm. and there were very few Americans involved in fact I think there was there was a singer from Shalimar and uh, and don't laugh Shalimar that's were... a really you put out the bat signal you say we need we need the greatest fucking singers <laughs> in the world and you get some backing vocalist from Shalimar well the thing no she was a lead vocal from Shalimar and there was also a couple from Cool in the Gang but <laughs> don't laugh it's rubbish. Well, listen, on a very serious note, actually, mm. back in 84, there were very few black UK artists. Sade had hit the big time, but I know that she's not there. So she's one of the conspicuous no. absences, actually. But in terms of young black 
um, UK artists, recording artists, there were a scant selection, um, which is really strange. And I think really sort of symptomatic of where we were at the time, I guess, because going back to the American version, the, the We Are The World, their greatest artists, yeah. all, uh, uh, incredible black pop soul stars there. But we, we didn't have anyone of that ilk. I'm trying to think back to the 80s and I can remember acts such as Musical Youth, who I feel might have been slightly later. No, Musical, um, Youth, musical Youth hit in 83, I think, or 82. But, uh, but, okay. but by, by okay. 84 really weren't, weren't a thing. Uh, five Star? Five Star, again, I think were probably 85, 86. So, again, that mm-hmm. was probably them, you know, pushing through in a market that was just really, crying out for it yeah just re- when you when you think of all the you know from from sort of the the motown era onwards all the great music from that part of the world and it it just it just wasn't there in in britain was it we had um we had stock aitken and waterman and we had mm. scar yeah so the fact that they had a couple of um delegates from america from shalimar and cool and the gang there um <laughs> Stop laughing. Black artists weren't really represented in this first incarnation. Um, And there were other notable absences. David Bowie. I believe he was over in America and couldn't fly back uh, in time. He made amends by being heavily involved in Live Aid in the summer of the the following year, as did Dire Straits. Now, Dire Straits were absolutely bloody enormous back in 84. But again, Mark Knopfler and co. weren't part of the original band-aid recording paul mccartney wasn't involved in it frankie goes to hollywood rolling stones weren't involved all of them were were involved in live aid later on perhaps once they realized what a massive splash band-aid had made Mm. no cliff richard i mean we'll cope Mm -hmm. but but it's the sort of person you would expect to be there in a sort of mum bothering kind of way I guess because he was so achingly uncool at this point. But I'm 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 wondering if people like you know Geldof and Midjour would have reached out to Cliff Richard in the first place because you know probably not. But then of course no. Cliff uh, was then involved in the second version, Band Aid Two, in 1989. So I seem to remember he might have been a little aggrieved at not being asked to do it. However, it would have been surely worse. For it and talking about yes. being achingly uncool phil collins is of course um uh actually in it providing drums that's that's what you expect from collins providing drums yeah yeah i believe there was a little bit of snobbery at the time because certain artists that will remain unnamed paul weller sting bono would not be seen with phil collins wow yeah. as early as 1984 <laughs> yeah well they were i assumed that He'd reached the sort of bottom of his cultural currency sort of in the 90s. I would have thought he was kind of a going concern in the 80s. but No, I think, and I, and I think judging by the, um, the brown tank top he's wearing in the video, I can understand Weller's point, really. Yeah, it's not the most... Um, he was never a flamboyant frontman, really, Collins. He was never, you know, he, 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 was, he wasn't Ziggy Stardust. He wasn't even uh, Roy Wood. No, I mean, this is not necessarily the time to sort of really um, uh, analyse Phil Collins' sartorial uh, gift to the world, but no. yeah, it, was a, it was a fucking disaster, let's face it. 
Yeah, sure. Um, so okay, but so so who? So we've got the backing singer from from Shalimar. <laughs> Call him a gang, Sh- Shalimar. Right, Paul Weller, right. Sting, Bono, Weller, Sting, Bono. Paul Young opens uh, opens yep. the track. There's Boy yep. George. He records. I believe it's the second line. Anyway, he really knocks it out of the park. But he flew in very late and he was the last to record he was probably um friends with mr smack at the time as uh you put it so delicately last last episode Uh, i like to employ euphemism for any of our younger listeners Mm. anyway it it was a fantastic lineup status quo were there but apparently their recording of some of the lines were deemed unusable (laughs) Whatever you want, do, 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 do. we want some food. Do, 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 do. We want some water. Yeah, it would be it would be terrible. Yeah, I'm I'm wondering if 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 certain musicians who shall remain nameless, Sting, Bono, Paul Weller, mm. refuse to appear with Collins. I can't see them eager to form a line with, say, Rick Parfit. Mm. <laughs> I don't know why, but I always laugh whenever I say Rick Parfit. Sounds like a nice dessert, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> Hello, I'd like a Rick Parfit, please, <laughs> with uh, extra ice cream. Thank you. In fact, I think I should probably um, call him Rick Parfait. I think. I think from now, now on, we should when we when we do the status quo episode. And God, please, let's never do a status quo episode. But when we do, it will be Rick Parfait and. Um, Rossini. Yeah. I also like yeah. to refer to Sting uh, as the bitter Sting of Tears because uh, he he sings his own name in the track. Does he? So he's like the the OG Gaga. Yeah. I really <laughs> I really like that as a um, a pub quiz question when I host pub quizzes. Uh, like who's the only artist uh, in Band Aid to sing their own name? And it's of course the bitter Sting of Tears. Oh God. <laughs> what do you I make of um, what do you make of Bono's um, f- famous line? Uh, he's been lauded for that performance of that lyric, although obviously there was a, at the time there was a little bit. Of, he he wasn't sure whether he really wanted to sing that. He wasn't sure he was on message, but he really did sing it well. And in subsequent versions, he's always been on that line. He's kind of clinged to it. He wouldn't let anyone. Tom Chaplin from Keen, for example, take it off him. No, I mean, if if you if you have a line like that and you can defend it, you certainly you certainly can defend it from someone <laughs> the the ilk of Chaplin, yeah. who I imagine would put up a very weak public school uh, to be uh, onslaught, but you'd be very easily repelled. So no, I'm the 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 Bono line is one of the two lines for me that are really um you know that really stand out the 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 thing for me whenever it it comes on and you get that so is it is it a bell or something tolling or, or there's some sort mm-hmm. of thing that and the the hairs on my arms go up do they Oh. You know, it's like oh, and you've got a lot very hairy arms. Very, very hairy arms. The the, the werewolf boy of uh, Maryland, they call me. Um, and but but once that's over and Young comes in, you're you're just waiting for George and Bono. Yeah, because oh. those two, my my lordy, they really own that song. Yeah, George's uh, George's performance is lovely in it. Really nice. Yeah, yeah. such a good voice. Um, 
I noticed as well Morrissey uh, wasn't uh, on the recording and you know in 1984 the Smiths had really hit big uh, however I don't believe he was invited to to participate uh, and I think several years later in Time Out magazine he gave he gave his views about the song shall I read them to you oh, I'd love to hear them um, I'm not afraid to say oh, you just got to you, you've got to imagine I'm not afraid to say yeah you've got to imagine that really smug condescending sort of sneery way uh, that Morrissey speaks awful. Awful. I'm not afraid to say that I think Band-Aid was diabolical or to say that I think Bob Geldof is a nauseating character. Many people find that very unsettling, but I'll say it as loud as anyone wants me to. In the first instance, the record itself was absolutely tuneless. One can have great concern for the people of Ethiopia, but it's another thing to inflict daily torture on the people of Great Britain. It was an awful record, considering the massive talent involved and it wasn't done shyly it was the most self-righteous platform ever in the history of popular music now if that was a review of of band aid 2 i'd sign off on that quite happily mm. but that's a very mean-spirited hateful bitter jealous vengeful and and wrong summation of band aid i know and it's so surprising from someone like morrissey it's almost like he's you know trying to dismantle his entire career just using his words it's almost like he's um he's psychotic or at least sort of willfully um contrary we're not going to be doing a, a morrissey episode are we i'd like to talk about the smiths but i understand that you don't really dig them so that probably won't happen. I, you know, I like I like the music, but um, I find any endorsement of the man and his daffodil-waving racism to be anathema. Right. Well, let me correct you there, because it was a gladioli. Well, that just proves he was an arsehole. <laughs> <laughs> and um, am I right in thinking Duran Duran were involved? Yeah, yeah. Simon Le Bon takes a... Uh, takes a takes a hit in it and um yeah the rest of them are there as are elements of spandau ballet heaven 17 marilyn is there obviously mm -hmm. uh the boomtown rats are sort of somewhere at the back who now who actually wrote the song it was it was year wasn't it it was year with uh with geldof i believe yeah because it was and this this must have you know got to got to bob over the years but this was by far and away the best thing he ever did. Or did Live Aid itself, the event, um, uh, trumpet? I mean, well, a... you know, sure, but um, in terms of his musical legacy, when 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 he dies and they release Bob Geldof's greatest hit, oh. and it's 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 a single, and it's do they know it's Christmas? Mm. He he must feel aggrieved that no matter what he's gone on to do since then and even before then, there was the song about Mondays, probably some others, but but no one really knows any of it because it's uh, it's all about the Christmas. I like Rat Trap. I really do like that track. But um, yeah, I know what you mean. He used music to unite the world in a brief period of real moral outrage and confronting thatcher in person trying to get her to re remove the vat from the single sales oh good was did he did quite he memorable. did he biffer on the hooter he didn't he he remained calm and civil and got what he wanted in the end because thatcher you know finger ever on the pulse of public opinion 
mm. realised that the Tories looked dreadful by taking VAT from the single. I mean, she was... I, I would assume she was fairly sanguine at that point in her career about looking dreadful. I mean, she'd, <laughs> she'd done quite a lot of dreadful things in the last five years and there was... There was five more to come, but um, let's let's not go down that awful Thatcher cul-de-sac. Let's just sub- salute Sir Bob for standing up to the evil milk-snatching tyrant uh, and good. giving us this great song. Should we mention the, the other incarnations as well? So Band-Aid 2 happened five years later. That was the Stock Aitken Waterman kind of version? Yeah, exactly. So it, it was given over to Stock Aitken and Waterman um, and their stable were invited mm. to sing so you you had banana rama you had bros opening there was there was cliff as well on it yeah which which version do you prefer well put it like this i'm aware of the first version mm. I'm aware it has been redone at least twice. I have never heard another version, and I would not wish to. Oh, so you didn't hear the 2004 version. So 20 years on, we had people like Chris Martin, Robbie Williams, Dido, Will Young, Dizzy Rascal, who created some Mm. extra lyrics of his own, Tom Chaplin from from Keane. Oh, Chaplin. Yeah. Bono. Damon Albarn was asked to contribute. um, Right. And did. However, didn't want to sing. He was the tea boy. Yeah, he's... um, That's nice. Yeah, I wonder if it is nice. Well, I think it's nice. I mean, that that version does sound better than Band-Aid 2, straight out of the blocks. I mean, you know, say what you like about Robbie Williams. He's... He's better than big fun, you know. And I guess most of those acts went on to be on uh, Live 8, which was, what, 2006. So um, yay to them. But being the T-boy, because you don't want to... Why would Damon Albarn want to be in a charity song with Robbie Williams? No, uh, yeah, that's 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 true. He didn't want to be, yeah. and so yeah. so it was some sort of compromise where he was the tea boy, out of some sort yeah. of snobbery, I think, on his behalf. Yeah, um, I, w- I would expect so. Snow Patrol at the time were invited, I believe, and they were huge back in two thousand and four. I think Live Eight was two thousand and five, wasn't it? Just the summer after. Oh, do you know what? Yes, it might have been. Yeah, um, and. Tom York provided keyboards. Nigel Goodrich was um, producing on it, so I think it had a good production on, on the track. So, would you would you recommend that for anyone who, like me, has willfully avoided hearing subsequent versions of the song? You think that's actually worth a a gulp? I think it's quite. I think it's a half decent version. Certainly better okay. than the final or the last incarnation, which was the. Ebola charity, uh, which, wow. which, which, well, which had its lyrics significantly changed in response. When was to that? Already, I'm concerned that Ebola is too specific a, a, a phenomenon to motivate the kind of A list celebrities. So I'm going to ask who was involved in the Ebola single. Yeah, so the Ebola single was, uh, was Band Aid 30, so it was 2014. Um, right and again it was mainly british artists sam smith ed sheeran uh, rita ora 
Chris Martin, Bono again, of course. One Direction Obviously. were involved. Christ. Um, yeah. Oh. And I'm not sure it got to number one, did it? Uh, it yes. I mean, that's... It should have. I mean, really, it should have done. Yes. Yeah, so it got to number one for for the one week, the first week that it was um, released. And and I'm not sure if this comparison has ever been drawn before. But do they know it's Christmas? Is very much like Three Lions in that when they first arrived, they were culturally huge, and then every time they go back to the well and re-release it every four years, it's to diminishing returns. Yeah, that, I think that's I think that's fair. Although the two thousand and four think had a little bit of cool about it. There were some representatives from the Thrills, from Ash, from Morchiba. Did they have anyone from Shalimar? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, they didn't. Yeah, I'm out. Yeah. Um, so, 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 right, okay. Putting you on the spot because oh. we know that we know you like Mr. Bono. Mm. Um, we know you're a fan of of Boy George's delivery. Mm. Take those away from the Band Aid song, mm. the original, the OG. Yeah. Do they know it's Christmas? And what are the highlights that we're left with? Oh, without um, Sans Bono, Sans Bono, and Sans, um, Sans Sans George, Boy George. What you're left with? Glenn Gregory from Heaven 17. <laughs> mm. I mean, I was going to go Le Bon next, probably, for me. There's an intensity to his delivery. Right. Um, it's all about the voices that... Ha- the, the most passionate voices, or the most earnest, um, or, 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 or the most sort of... The, the biggest widescreen voices just had the sincerity that kind of nailed the message into the hearts of certainly people of our age. Yeah, and perhaps I'm, you know, we, we were a bit unfair about Paul Young earlier on, but he, you know, he opened the, the, the track because Bo- Bowie couldn't couldn't do it. I, d- I feel, I d- imagine, right, you, it's 20 years ago, you've gone to a Bowie gig, say, you know, some somewhere, mm. Brixton Academy, wherever. Mm. Little Little guy comes out, and says, sorry, due to illness, Mr. Bowie will not be appearing. Instead, Paul Young. You'd, you wouldn't feel happy about that. He's no substitute. I take your point. Um, I, I note, actually, on the, the original B-side that the members of Big Country, Bowie himself, Holly Johnson of Frankie Goes to Hollywood, of course, and Paul McCartney yeah. um, do spoken messages. We should also point out at this point that Ethiopia follows the Orthodox calendar. Uh, and so Christmas is celebrated there on the seventh of January. Yes, it is. Um, um, so, so there's an irony there because, you know, there's all of us on the twenty fifth of December wondering if they know it's Christmas, and of course it isn't. It's not. No, not not yet. And of course, half the country. I think it's a sort of pretty even split between um, the Muslim and Christian world uh, in Ethiopia. Half of them didn't really care anyway. And actually, at the time, I believe Ethiopia was under a communist government. And those sort of religious festivities were discouraged anyway. Mm. But more importantly, and this may you may need to Google this if you don't have this fact at your fingertips. Mm. But how much money did the song, or I should say, the single, yeah. raise for famine in Ethiopia? And I want before and after VAT. I, I believe it made something like twenty-four million dollars bloody hell uh, and that sum has obviously uh, gone up considerably over the years um, and of course it was dwarfed by 
what we are the world uh, raised and what live aid itself raised as well but at the same time and by the same token you wouldn't have had those other two without this ergo therefore this song probably raised i don't know how many but hundreds, hundreds of millions, hundreds of millions. This, this, hundreds this of millions. song as a result of midjour and bob geldoff's uh, idea and drive just to get things going um mm. this this song is responsible for hundreds of million of pounds raised so the compassion of two artists I, you know, I would say it's the most important song of the 80s. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think that's um, certainly for the UK. And yeah, as I said, every time I hear it, every time you hear that kind of haunting opening, mm. it's a very power. And obviously half of that feeling is nostalgia, but also half of it is the reminder of those images that Michael Burke put on the nine o'clock news and, and probably the six as well. I don't imagine they kept it rigorously siloed when you've got a big story like that it goes everywhere yeah um it was a horrible thing to see and interesting as as seems to always happen that the biggest response to these things doesn't come from governments or politicians or elon musk but it comes from the creative industries nice point indeed and it's a no amount of uh morrissey and his ilk can make me think otherwise no quite right too it's a great song it's a wonderful thing and it's uh, a massive part of of, of life in the 80s mm. so unless you have anything else to say on the subject of do they know it's christmas i have a christmas treat for you do you indeed in the form of i didn't get you a gift because i you know can't be um. bothered but i have written a quiz oh how nice okay yes are you feeling are you feeling calm? Uh, I'm feeling collected. Right. Uh, <laughs> ironic, because it's a question uh, all about your taxes. So <laughs> you certainly will do. Oh, shit. <clears throat> no. <clears throat> so, so when we were kids, on Christmas Day, you could look forward to watching a Bond film. Yeah. Um, sadly, today, ITV's Bond DVD collection has fallen into a pile of old CDs, and it's all got very mixed up like in the Answer Smash round of House of Games. Let me give you an example so you can see how this is going to go. Good, because I have no idea. Right, so Answer Smash, you will arrive at two distinct answers from the clue. Right. And you have to run them together. And it, it will be apparent how they run together when you have okay. both the answers. Right. So, for example, the... the, the the sample question. Which 1981 Roger Moore Bond film featuring Topol and Carol Bouquet mm-hmm. is a 1960 Roy Orbison classic? Okay, so so that's for your eyes only the lonely. That is exactly right. Ah. That is the that is the format for this quiz. Cool, right. Um so yeah. Okay, question one. Right. In his final official outing as 007. Sean Connery stops Blofeld from destroying Washington, D.C. with the help of a 1986 hit for orchestral manoeuvres in the dark. Diamonds are forever, but I can't think of the OMD song. They had You'll it. kick yourself. It it's, 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 oh. Forever. Um, I can only think of Enola Gay and <laughs> Joan of Arc. Are. 
yeah no that would be what? diamonds are for a no legay that would that would what, what is, no what? so do you, do you want the answer yeah i do need i need the answer okay uh diamonds are forever live and die oh, i never for, know oh, i never know i never me. know why forever live and die yeah of course oh, so oh, i'm writing incredible. down i'm writing down failure yeah. by that question um you'll want to do better on the next one question two bond faces the redoubtable rosa Klebb in this 2004 song by you too <laughs> right from russia with love oh, 2004 so it's so it's how to dismantle an atomic bomb absolutely right so yep. there is a reason perhaps why this song doesn't immediately leap to mind really? in that like most of that album it was fairly bad was it actually a single because they had vertigo no I, no it was it was just it was a, a song off the album i don't believe it was a single <laughs> oh christ love but your encyclopedic love left? no that's on a later no album, isn't it no that's very recent by by their standards that's only about eight years old i'm gonna have to put you out of your misery okay yeah so this one is from Russia with love and peace or else. Oh yeah, love and peace or else. Yeah, that's, that's so quite nice. again. I'm writing failure. failure. Yeah, failure. Question three. Yeah. <clears throat> Roger Moore's third outing as James Bond right. features Barbara Back and the hidden track from Blur's 2003 album Think Tank featuring Phil Daniels. Uh, the spy who loved me. Am I right with that now? Because now my brain is fried, and I can't even think of that's the actual. You're, you're going, it. you're going in the right that's direction. Barbara Bach, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know the, the I don't know the hidden track on oh, the album. Sorry, it's the best thing on that album. Uh, the Spy Who Loved Me, White Noise. Writing down the word failure. Oh God, it's going to be a, a cold and lonely Christmas where you are. Oh. Are you ready for question four? I'm not sure I am now. I'm really, really, no, I'm really it's... disappointed with myself. I think you'll get question four. Okay. Um, but to be fair, I thought you'd get the first three, and that was <laughs> woefully optimistic of me. Uh, to Paris with a conspicuously aged James Bond, mm. Grace Jones, and a truly terrible chart topper from One Hit Wonders, Rage Against the Machine. Okay, a view to a killing in the name of. Oh, excellent. Uh, yeah, bang on. Yeah. Absolutely. got Nailed that. I quite like that. You song. nailed that. Well, a lot of people do. I just wrote that to be willfully sort of, you know... Morrissey-like. Co combative, mm. yeah. I don't like that. <laughs> ho, ho, ho. Question five. Emilio Largo oh. holds NATO to ransom with two stolen atomic bombs while REM undertake a long, fruitless journey to stardom on 2001's Reveal. Fuck. <laughs> So that's Thunderball, or are you thinking of um, the unofficial Bond? Well, I'm certainly thinking of Thunderball, but was was Emilio Largo still the the villain in in the unofficial one, or did they change the name? I can't remember whether they changed the name. What's the final track on Reveal? It's that's uh, that's Beach Ball. ball? Something. Oh, Beach Ball. Is that what yeah. you're talking about? It's so no Thunder no. Beach Ball. <laughs> that that wouldn't work. <laughs> So their their long fruitless journey towards stardom on reveal. The the answer is Thunderball the way to Reno. Oh, you fucker! <laughs> I get it now. 
that's great that's 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 that's, that's genius but again i th- i feel i must be tarnished with the failure brush well we can revive this quiz next time there's uh, a topic that i can think of some questions about so don't think you've escaped you're merely off the hook for now yeah no i'm i i was i'm impressed thank you for that that's uh, that's that's a, that's a, that's a pleasure so what are you going to do with the rest of your christmas day then um i think i will um actually i i'm on a diet at the moment so i, I haven't really so not even um, not even eating. yeah i'm not really eating very much at all I didn't get many presents either. We're recording this in advance, but I can say with almost... Don't, don't ruin I, the magic. I, I can say this with, with, with a degree of certainty that mm. I will not be getting very much for Christmas. That's, that's a real shame. I won't be getting anything either because my wife doesn't celebrate Christmas. She doesn't observe, does she? She doesn't, no. Oh, well, um, same time next year then. Happy Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. Yes. Yes, silver bells. Goodbye, everyone. We'll see you. Uh, sh- see you in the new year. Yeah, a couple of weeks. We'll do. We'll talk about something else. Bye. Bye. Song poker was produced by Electric Sodcast Studios. <laughs>